This is the Behind the Line Podcast, coming to you from the wacky left coast capital of Seattle. News from the Pacific Northwest, the left coast, the U.S., and the world that matters. The stories the MSM won't talk about. Deciphering the truth through all the lies. For more, visit BehindTheLinePodcast.com. Something to keep an eye on here in Washington. Washington health officials are investigating the state's first known outbreak of Candida auris. This is the deadly fungal disease that cropped up during the pandemic. This is after at least five cases were confirming confirmed among patients at Kindred Hospital, Seattle, First Hill. Washington saw its first case of the drug-resistant fungus last July. The individual tested positive at Kindred, an 80-bed long-term acute care hospital. During admission screening prior to that, the man had spent several weeks at Tacoma, Washington-based St. Joseph Medical Center. No additional cases were reported at that time. In the first half of January, Seattle and King County health officials were notified of another patient who tested positive for CRS upon admission to Kindred. In a blog post, health officials said the case was identified through a proactive screening program in which all patients are screened upon the time of admission. During the week of January 22nd, three more cases were confirmed in patients at the hospital, all of whom tested negative when they were first admitted. The CDC has deemed the fungus an urgent public health threat due to its resistance to multiple antifungal treatments, its ability to spread quickly and cause severe infections among immuno compromised people. The fungus was first reported in the United States in 2016 and was responsible for a 200% jump in infections between 2019 and 2021, the New York Times reported last year. It's particularly concerning because it is resistant to common antifungal medications. Between 5 and 10% of patients colonized with CRS will eventually develop invasive infections that can be serious. More than 45% of people with invasive infections die within the first 30 days. Those in long-term acute care facilities are generally most at risk, largely because they tend to be very ill and rely on devices like catheters or breathing tubes. In general, CRS is not a threat to healthy people, according to the CDC. Symptoms generally include infections in different parts of the body, including in the bloodstream, open wounds and ears, though it depends on the location and severity of the infection, the CDC says. Some symptoms might be similar to others caused by bacteria, the agency noted, adding that there is not a common set of symptoms specific to CRS infections. The fungus can also be difficult to get rid of in healthcare settings because it can live in, in, on some surfaces for weeks or longer. <clears throat> because public health teams have been working with Kindred for months to implement the early screening program, they expected CRS would eventually be found in Washington. Early identification is key to control and spread of CRS so that prevention strategies can be in place before it becomes widespread. Well, just something to keep your eye on, not really concerning unless you're extremely ill and in some dirty hospital. But this is definitely something, you know, that they could use to create some kind of an emergency. So, again, just keep your eye on it.
Here's some news that should piss you off. Seattle has agreed to pay $10 million to 50 demonstrators who sued over the police department's heavy-handed response to racial justice protests in 2020. You know, when they were burning the city down and took over six blocks in Capitol Hill? This is a settlement announced by attorneys from both sides Wednesday. The protesters were among tens of thousands who rallied downtown and in Capitol Hill neighborhoods for weeks following the death of George Floyd. After his interaction with Minneapolis police, the police department, led by then-Chief Carmen Best, used aggressive techniques to disperse the crowds, including flashbang grenades, foam-tipped projectiles, and blast balls that explode and emit pepper gas. Paintballs. Not blast balls. Let's not exaggerate. At some point during the protests, people in the crowds did cause damage, including burning police cars and trying to set fire at the East Precinct. But a federal judge ordered the department to stop using chemical and other weapons indiscriminately against peaceful demonstrators. I'm sorry, did you see any peaceful demonstrators there in those crowds that were ransacking the city at the time that took over, <laughs> held hostage six blocks of Capitol Hill where people were murdered and raped. I mean, this is insanity. <clears throat> when police used tear gas, even after Best and then Mayor Jenny Durkin promised they would stop, except in life-threatening cases, <laughs> which if you're just a couple cops against thousands of people, it is. The city council voted unanimously to bar officers from using tear gas, pepper spray, and several other crowd control devices, a decision that was overturned by a federal judge. So not only did taxpayers take the hit for the damage caused by these jokers, these buffoons, but now they're going to take the hit having to pay these absolute morons, you know, for this ridiculous lawsuit. And the lawyers that handle these cases, they should be ashamed of themselves. Honestly, those people's behavior was completely out of line, out of control, unacceptable. And the police's response, I'm sorry to say, was appropriate. Should have been harsher. People should have been arrested. People, you know, you do what you have to to stop people from burning your city down. The city says that this was the best financial alternative instead of going to trial because, you know, they, they would have been, it would have been found against them anyway because of the people that would have been on the jury. And, you know, it would have been a humongous amount of money, more than $10 million. This is the signal you're sending to these losers, you know, is that you can go out and do whatever you want and then turn around and sue the city for millions of dollars. Sad and sick, and it should not be allowed. And more new good news for Seattle. Seattle is facing a nearly quarter billion dollar budget deficit. Seattle Mayor Bruce Harrell confirmed on Tuesday there is now a hiring freeze for most city departments as Seattle confronts the projected shortfall. The only exceptions are public safety sectors, such as police, fire, and Seattle's new alternative response teams, also care department staff, along with employees providing essential public services and employees backfilling for those using the city's paid parental leave or paid family care leave. 
The move comes with a new city council, which has signaled it is moving away from the previous council's position of sinking new possible tax sources to fill the budget gap. Well, that's good news. But you can't have... You can't run a city and be paying for all this junk that Seattle pays for. Hundreds of millions of dollars on homelessness, which has done nothing to solve homelessness. Nothing. The mayor said the city took a triple hit because of reduced commercial real estate tax revenues, because so many have moved out of the city because of city policies. Decreased federal funding, well, thanks Biden, and increased labor costs. Again, policies that were voted on by Seattle residents. Minimum wage and all these other things that they're forcing these companies to pay, of course, the cost gets pushed on to consumers. This is what happens when you run a socialist government. There just isn't enough money to pay for everything people expect to have or that these Democrats think people should have provided for them by the government. It doesn't work, clearly. Mayor Harrell says that he is focusing on public safety and health in Seattle's future. He says he thinks he's more aligned with what voters want, that as we lead with public safety, he shouldn't have to fight for budget considerations when it comes to recruiting officers or retaining officers. Well, I agree with that, but his predecessor shouldn't have done everything he did to push officers out of the city. His previous predecessors and mayor, who did not support law enforcement, tied their hands. He continues that the health challenges out there in the city, people on fentanyl using opioid, people just living a life of self-destruction. This is something the city decriminalized. You have the health department instructing people how to use drugs and giving out needles and instructions and everything else. It's allowed open drug use in the city. This has been perpetuated by city policies. He goes on to say gun safety is governed by the state and not the city. The city cannot control gun laws. It cannot prohibit anyone from coming into the city or being in a rec center or park with a gun. I want to. So I'm urging our state legislatures and our federal legislators to give me as mayor that discretion. I do not have the ability to stop people bringing in unlawful guns, people misusing guns in the way that they are, and it's atrocious. Do you think if you <laughs> make a law that says they can't bring guns into a park or a rec center or the city in general, that's going to stop unlawful guns, people misusing guns? Are you this naive? I still don't understand this argument. Criminals don't follow your laws. They don't pay attention to your anti your gun your gun free zone signs that you put up. This is a law that only affects law-abiding people who have a right to protect themselves from all these lunatics that you've allowed to be on the streets of your city. It's hard to understand how these liberal lunatics can look around and wonder why things are the way they are when it is directly 
a direct result from their own crazy policies that they've enacted and the behavior that they've allowed to occur over the last, you know, in Seattle, 10, 15, 20 years. It's just gotten progressively worse and worse and worse. At what point do you realize that your approach isn't working? Moving on to Portland, where things aren't any better. Oregon leaders have declared a 90-day state of emergency in Portland to battle the city's debilitating fentanyl crisis three years after decriminalizing possession of all drugs. Hmm. I wonder why you have a fentanyl crisis now. Could it be because you decriminalize drugs? Doesn't seem like it's that hard to put together, does it? Governor Tina Kotek, Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler, and Multnomah County Chair Jessica Vega-Peterson made the declaration are directing their agencies to work with first responders in connecting people addicted to the synthetic opioid with resources, including drug treatment programs and to crack down on drug sales. Fentanyl addicts who interact with first responders in Portland's downtown in the next 90 days will be triaged by this new command center Staff can connect people with various resources from a bed and a drug treatment center to meeting with behavioral health clinician to help with registering for food stamps. The effort also extends the Portland Police Bureau's partnership with Oregon State Police to jointly patrol downtown streets for fentanyl sales. It additionally kicks off information campaigns centered on drug use prevention and recovery programs across the region. I'm sure those people on the streets will really benefit from your information campaign. The county will expand outreach and training on how to administer Narcan, an overdose reversal drug. Yes, your respawn drug that, like I've talked about in the past, if anybody had any idea, if the general population had any idea of how many people every day are respawned from taking Narcan, you would be shocked. I mean, shocked. I know of people who have been Narcaned two or three times in one day. You are dead when you get Narcan. Dead. And it brings you back to life. Magically. And then most of these people don't even go to the hospital. They just walk away and continue on their day. No concept about the seriousness of this. If it wasn't for Narcan, there's already hundreds of thousands of people across the U.S. dying from fentanyl. 300 people a day, 350 people a day, hundreds of thousands a year. If the people who were saved from Nar by Narcan, with Narcan, died, you'd probably have millions of people dying from this, literally. And where is all this fentanyl coming from? It's coming from our southern border. It's coming from China. It goes to Mexico, and it makes its way into this country through the southern border, which is wide open. Just another reason why there needs to be border control, why people should be screened, why they shouldn't be allowing all these people to pour across the border. This is the result, folks. Uh, but just keep putting your head in the sand trying to figure out why this is happening. You've limited law enforcement. You've made it... You've decriminalized the behavior, encouraged it, and you've just got people pouring in at our southern border with this drug. And this is the result. 
And this is happening in every big city across the country, especially these blue cities with these liberal policies. Again, Oregon became the first state in the country to decriminalize the possession of all drugs, including heroin and cocaine, in 2020. Uh, but you just don't, you can't figure this out, can you? Can't put it all together. Residents have since demanded for politicians to take action on open-air drug markets that surfaced and fueled the homelessness crisis. Hmm. Imagine. Opioid deaths in Oregon more than tripled from 280 before the decriminalization of drugs was voted in to 955 in 2022. Now, they don't even tell you what the number was for last year. A lot. 955. What is that? That's almost, you know, that's like three people a day. It doesn't seem like much, does it? But that's a lot of people. And it's more than that. I guarantee it. There were 21 non-pharmaceutical fentanyl deaths in Multnomah County in 2019. That's Portland County. Before decriminalization was passed, the data has not been updated since. Yeah, I wonder why. They don't want you to know. Oregon lawmakers have introduced a new bill that would undo a key part of the state's drug decriminalization law. A uh, bunch of idiots, really. Bunch of idiots. People just don't get it. Portland City Council unanimously approved in September an ordinance prohibiting public drug use, yet implementation hinges on state legislators passing supporting measures. In response to the ordinance, the Oregon Law Center filed a lawsuit alleging the restrictions violate the state constitution and existing laws, resulting in a circuit court judge blocking the city from enforcing the rule. I mean, you can't make this up, can you? The amount of stupidity. Lawyers... Judges, federal judges. Downtown Portland has experienced a mass exodus of big-name employers carried out by owners who have taken issue with the rising crime levels and homelessness. According to the city of Portland, overall homelessness increased by 65% from 2015 to 2023, with 6,297 homeless people counted in the latest point-in-time count. I'm guessing it's more than that. I'm guessing it's north of 10,000. In March, Walmart announced it was permanently closing all of its locations in Portland, months after CEO Doug McMillan warned of a historic rise in theft at its stores because homelessness not only spurs drug use, but crimes because they have to steal to pay for their drug habit. Portland officials cut millions from its police budgets in June 2020 following the Black Lives Matter protests and growing defund the police movement. But following a rise in crime, homelessness, and drugs in the city, Portland officials reversed course and increased its $230 million police budget by $5.2 million a year later. More than half of voters in Portland would still consider leaving the city if they could afford to, according to a poll. This is what you get when you vote for liberal Democrats, crazy Democrats with their crazy policies. This is what you get. I don't think there's any confusion now on what these people have done to these cities across the country. It's sick. And how people, 
how voters can be continue to be so naive to vote these people in. They completely destroy these cities and then say they're going to make changes, but of course they don't. And then you've got these lawyers and federal judges who just exacerbate the problem. It's, it's sick. This country has a sickness. It's not your constitutional right to use illegal drugs. It's not your constitutional right to commit crimes to fuel your illegal drug habit. But again, none of these politicians, none of these lawyers, and none of these liberal federal judges who impose their political stance from the bench care about regular people. They don't care about the general population. They don't care about victims of crime. They only care about criminals and degenerates. And you can see it all around these cities, what they've done to these cities. It's like third world. This whole country will be third world soon. Here's some good news. If you live in California, a federal judge has blocked California from enforcing state laws requiring people to undergo background checks when they buy ammunition, calling them unconstitutional. In a decision, no kidding, no kidding. In a decision made public on Wednesday, U.S. District Judge Roger Benitez in San Diego said the laws have no historical pedigree and violate the Second Amendment's right for citizens to keep and bear arms. Thank you. Finally, surprisingly, a judge in California that upholds the Constitution. That is amazing. And that's good news for us in Washington because they're trying to pull this garbage here too. So hopefully that sets precedence that that's not going to fly. But, of course, we can't talk about California without talking about the stupidity that exists there as well. California Governor Gavin Newsom is pledging to fast-track more than half a dozen projects by the end of his term to remove or bypass dams that have blocked salmon from returning to the state's chilly mountain streams and acting as the keystone of a complex ecosystem that sustains both economies and spiritual beliefs for tribes. Hmm... What's that going to do to your electric situation in California? Because they're already short on electric. Of course, they're another one of these states, like all the West Coast states, forcing people to electric, banning every other source of electricity or heat, natural gas. They want everybody driving electric cars. They don't have the capacity. California is already short on electricity, having to import it from other states. And now they're going to Tear down dams for spiritual beliefs for salmon. Build some salmon ladders because they work just fine. You can't tear down... You can't tear these dams down in California. They're short on electricity. They have a water shortage crisis as well. So what are you gonna, you're going to get rid of these reservoirs that provide drinking water? This is more insanity from these liberal loonies. There are ways to get fish through the dam without having to remove the dam. But it's all about feelings with these people. Everything revolves around feelings. Not reality. Not what's needed for people to survive. Of course, the insane environmentalists say this doesn't go far enough. 
Of course, the environmentalists say that this is smoke and mirrors and will do little to give fish what they really need, which is more water in states' rivers. And they're seeking changes to how much water farmers can take from rivers and streams. Yeah. The California farming situation, also critical. Also very short on water. Now you're going to take more? You want to take more from them? People need food, you know? Like, humans need to have food to survive. And a lot of food is or was grown in California for the entire United States. This is going to be one of these things when we have electricity shortages, rolling blackouts, uh, food shortages. People are going to look around and say, what happened? Why did this happen? I don't understand. Just like they are right now with this homelessness and drugs and crime. I, the the naivety, the lack of forethought to this stuff, the I want this now attitude without thinking about future consequences. I don't get it. Where's the common sense? California spent $800 million in recent years for projects that returned some creeks and streams to their natural state. So salmon can live there. Their natural state? Well, how were they changed from anything other than natural? Unless they were done, you know. I, this, this kind of thinking is leading us down a, a dark road. Thank you for listening to the Behind the Line podcast. If you like this broadcast, please like and share it. Please follow us on Facebook, Rumble, YouTube, Twitter, Truth Social, Telegram, Gab, Parlor, and LinkedIn. You can find our podcast at BehindLinePodcast.com, NetNewsNetwork.net, and on Anchor, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and anywhere podcasts can be found. Thank you for your support.